So, uh, uh, hi, it's Graham here. Sorry to interrupt your podcast listening like this, but uh, I wondered if you could do us a little favour. I haven't told Carol I'm going to do this, and frankly, I'm not sure she's going to find out. Let's maybe keep it that way, shall we? Uh, I don't think she listens to the podcast, so she won't hear that I've tacked this on to the beginning. But the European Security Blogger Awards, they're about to happen, and Smashing Security has been nominated in a couple of categories. Huzzah, huzzah! You can vote in the awards for your favourite security blogs and security podcasts, hint, hint, but you've only got a few days before the voting closes. So do it today. Do it now. Hit pause. Oh, not before I've told you the URL. It's smashingsecurity.com slash vote. That will redirect you through magic to the voting form. And, well, hey, made the best podcast co-hosted for the last six or so years by a Brit and a Canadian win. Um, yeah, over to you. Smashingsecurity.com slash vote. Thank you very much. We love you all, uh, at least the people who vote for us. Uh, but for now, back to your normal service. And uh, sorry about this interruption. God, your life, man. Our listeners are crying for you. Their tears are just <laughs> spilling down their faces as their hearts break at how hard your life is. Smashing Security, episode 344, What's Cooking at Booking.com, and a podcast built by AI, with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to Smashing Security, episode 344. My name's Graham Cluley. And I'm Carol Terrio. Hello, Carol. Hmm, that's very kind of you. Hi, Graham. How are you? I didn't say anything kind, I just said hello. I'm all right, <laughs> thanks. Not too bad. That's all it takes. That's all it takes, Graham. <laughs> I'm particularly pleased, by the way, to our listeners this week. Yes. Last week on the Pick of the Week, I spoke about my friend Ali, uh, one of our old colleagues, mm. and uh, she is raising money for Mind on her Just Giving page. And can you believe, when we recorded that, Carol, mm. uh, Ali had raised £500. Mm -hmm. And in the space of a week, thanks in no small part to the generosity of Smashing Security listeners. Amazing. She's now raised over £800. <laughs> wow. See? Isn't that incredible? You guys. Isn't that fantastic? You know, that's so nice that we have a good community. Like, yeah. if you're one of those yeah. people, high five. I know it means a lot to her and uh, it means a lot to us as well. So thank you to everyone for being so generous uh, supporting Ali's Just Giving. You're amazing. Shall we get on with the show? Let's do it. <laughs> but before we kick off, let's thank this week's wonderful sponsors, Collide, Devo, and Vanta. It's their support that help us give you this show for free. Now, coming up in today's show, Graham, what do you got? I'm going to be looking at booking.com. <laughs> what was that a play on words of? Just a little rhyme. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, and I'm going to be asking the very important question. Are we out of a job clue? All this and much more coming up on this episode of Smashing Security. Now, chum, chum. Um, let me take you back in time. Take you back in time to last Friday night. Uh, I was at home with my partner and uh, we had to, you know, we were going to do a bit of cooking. 
right? Mm-hmm. And she said, what, what, what do you fancy eating? I said, oh, I don't know. What, what, what do you reckon? Did you say hamburger filled pizza crust pizza? No, I've Have you never, seen that? I've never. It's fucking unbelievable. I've, Jesus. Well, hang on. Well, you stuff hamburgers into the crust. Yes. It's so gross. Of pizzas. I think it's from Domino's or Papa John's or one of these. But yeah, you have like these burgers. There's like 12 burgers around in your crust. What? Yes. Yeah, so then, <laughs> like tiny burgers. Like what are those things called? Uh, Americans who are listening are yelling at me, right? You're yelling right now. The burglet. Yeah, the burglet. The little, uh, you get them on a plate. You get five of them. <laughs> yep. I'm waiting for the emails and the and the tweets. <laughs> anyway, we came up with an idea, which was Ratatouille. I love a bit of Ratatouille. It's not only a fantastic animated movie, it's also a wonderful dish yes. as well. So I was sent to go and hunt and gather the ingredients for a Ratatouille. And so I went to my local supermarket with my little shopping bag And I was going up and down the vegetable aisle. And of course, one of the key ingredients for a ratatouille is uh, an aubergine, Mm -hmm. right? Eggplant for our North American listeners. Is it? Mm -hmm. Is an eggplant? I I know the Americans call something an eggplant. Eggplant and aubergine are the same. Yeah. They're the same thing. Mm -hmm. Courgette and zucchini are the same thing as well. Okay. Right. Stop right there. Stop right there. Okay. Because that is my mental block. You have identified it. It's the aubergine. It's the courgette. It's the zucchini. It's the eggplant. In my head, they are all one vegetable. At least when I'm in a, I, I know they look different, but in my head, I can't picture them differently. I can't picture how you're going to get this story onto technology. That's where <laughs> I'm uh, stumped. But- I'm... I'm trying. I'm trying to find an aubergine. And I, I, I haven't, you know, oh, my goodness. Where where am I going to find you aubergine? You don't know what you're looking for. You don't even know that they are actually aubergine coloured. Do I? You know, well, do, what it's do a I kind do? of a big giveaway on that fruit, like an orange, you know? And well, it's not like an orange at it all, is. right? An I didn't orange know is that. orange, knew- an aubergine is aubergine. Oh, I see. Okay, but not it's not like an orange in the other way. <laughs> um, anyway, the point is that normally when I am stuck with this sort of challenge, I might reach for my because heaven heaven help me I'm not going to go and ask an assistant right that's far too embarrassing yeah or god it seems because I can't <laughs> so I normally I would reach for my phone I think I'll just do a quick google image search to remind myself of what I'm looking for here oh that's what I know right but I can't because I've got a lousy cell phone coverage in my supermarket there's no cell phone coverage so I can't use my phone there's only one little bit where there's the tiniest slither of a bar on my mobile phone. You don't want to use their Wi-Fi or something? Like that, Mike, what kind of supermarket are you going to where they have Wi-Fi for shoppers? <laughs> they want people they want people buying things, not playing Candy Crush. What do you like? No, they don't have Wi-Fi. God, where do you live? Anyway, so there's, if I'm by the tills, there's a slightest slither of cell phone coverage, just a tiny little eagly, eagly, eagly bit, a bit like you're in the middle of Alaska. That's the kind, imagine that. Imagine you're halfway. Yeah, it's not a, that hard. I'm with you. Yep. Anyway, right. Okay. So I head over there thinking, oh, maybe I'll be able to just see, you know, if I get there. And at that point, my watch, right? I've got a smartwatch. Of course you do. It gives me a little notification. Do you have smart earrings as well? 
I don't have no. no I don't okay. have just anything. Just, just have a watch, which normally reminds me of my calendar where I'm supposed to be. Am I recording a podcast at three o'clock or four o'clock today? That kind of thing. And it pops up, and I'll take a look at it, and it is a notification from the Booking.com app, right? Which is the online travel agency where you can book your hotel. So you have the app installed on your phone and it pings you. Well, it it came up on my watch, which I didn't even know. I'd never seen anything like that before, right? But Mm. I think it's because I had the app on my phone, it synced up with my watch. And so I got the notification on my watch that Booking.com says there's a message for you. And I'm thinking, oh, well, I, I do have an upcoming hotel trip, right? Because I'm doing a talk in London in November and I had to book a hotel and it was a real pain. And for one reason or another, I had to use booking.com, which I don't normally use. And I installed the booking.com app onto my phone, blah, blah, blah. Did it do this? And yada, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I booked it as normal and I got a notification at the time of booking from the hotel saying, thank you very much, Mr. Cluley. You know, we have booked you in and all this stuff. And there's this little messaging facility so I could chit chat back and forth with the hotel if I wanted to saying, oh, can you make sure that, you know, my pajamas are creased or, or whatever it is I that I want I never use done. that thing ever, ever. Right. It's like, how can I help you, sir? Not a bot. That, that, that kind of thing. But it's actually a communication from the hotel. So this is a way for the hotel to talk to me without sending me an email, which is kind of good because that's all happening inside the booking.com app. Right. Rather okay, than via fair. email. Right, right, right. Because if it did come via email, you might think, uh-huh, what is this? Is this some kind of phishing email, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's coming from inside the booking.com app, you think, well, I, I have booked this via booking.com. Therefore, I get a message from booking.com. Anyway, so I'm by the tills and it's gone bloop. And I think, oh, what's this about? So I take a look and it says to me, hello, dear Graham Cluley. It says, we regret to inform you that your booking may be cancelled as your card has not been automatically verified. And I think, oh, my goodness. They say, we're going to have to recheck the card mm-hmm. um, and we're going to have to reserve some funds. But don't worry, because they'll be automatically refunded if there's no problem. You have to do this within 12 hours, it says, or the reservation will be automatically cancelled. And you're like, oh, FFS. <laughs> just right. want my hotel room. I've already sorted it out, I thought. I just want an aubergine. Right. I just want an aubergine and it includes a link and it, and the link goes to booking.com dash ID three, three, four, one, one, two dot com slash P slash nine, six, five, six, six, four, seven, one, two. Right. And, very useful. Yeah. Yeah. And this has arrived via uh, the booking.com app. It feels very legit, except, you know, you've got, you've got, an, you've got a booking in your mind that you've tried to do. It's come through the app and they're saying no. And this is a message and it says it's from the hotel where I have indeed booked this. And I can scroll back and see previous messages from the hotel that they have legitimately sent me. Mm. And the link looks kind of legit, at least on my mobile phone. Mm. And so I think, oh, crumbs, I, I've got to keep that hotel room because it's going to be a nightmare if I have to try and book another one again. So I click on the link, but the link doesn't work because by now I've walked back into the vegetable department of the superstore. And lost your and half I, bar. I've lost my, oh, it's just like, for goodness, and I still don't know what an aubergine God, your life, like. man. Every week your list, our listeners are crying for you. Their that- tears <laughs> are just spilling down their faces as their hearts break at how hard your life is. So, exactly. I know. So, um, I am... Um, Wait until I get home. I'm a bit, susp- I'm a, but you know, it, because of my lack of connectivity, 
I haven't been able to act on it on impulse. I've had a little bit more time to think about it. And I think, well, I wonder what this, what this is about. So I managed to eventually find the aubergine and I get back home and we eat ratatouille and it was delicious. Thank you very much for asking. But having done that, I then thought, well, I better look into this thing because they said I only had 12 hours. But now I'm suspicious and I'm looking again at the link. But why are you suspicious? Well, because what I noticed was the URL said booking.com. This is how it looked anyway. Booking.com dash ID 334112.com. So the actual domain name was not booking.com. Slash it was 1255. Com, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was com-id334112.com. But the way it appeared on just casually looking at it and in the context of inside the, the booking.com app, it looks like it was a legitimate link. And it turned out, of course, that it wasn't. So me with my cybersecurity hat on thought, oh, 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 what is this? This seems all, actually, this seems kind of fishy. And when I went <laughs> to the link, mm -hmm. it looked like the real booking.com site, which had pre-filled in on it some of my details no. regarding the hotel I was staying at, regarding my name, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> so I thought, I wonder how the bad guys have done this. So because, the thing, the only thing that gave it away to you was the yeah. the, the crazy URL. So it was like a, yeah, that's it what, was. I mean, I was a bit. It was a bit strange that they were asking me to re-verify my card, but I, because that hadn't arrived via email or an unsolicited text or something like that, because it was inside the app, inside the actual booking app I had used, I was. I have to say, I I, I was you know, tricked. Mm -hmm. Not tricked so much that I actually entered my data because thankfully my spider senses kicked yeah, in. Yeah, but you looked into it. You thought, let me just see if this yeah. is, yeah. But I could well understand how anybody else would fall for something like this. So is this a screw up from Booking.com? Well, this is what I wondered. I thought, what's going on here? Right. Yeah. How's this happened? Right. And so I think I need to contact Booking.com. So that must have been first easy. thing I do. <laughs> <laughs> I bet that was a sitch. No problemo. They pick up right away. So there is this thing called a security.txt file, right? Which websites are encouraged to create, put on their website. I've got one on my website. So, uh, so there's a standard place you can go to on a website to get the contact details to tell people about a vulnerability or a bug or something like that, how to make contact. So I look for one on booking.com site. There is not one there, mm -hmm. right? There's not one there. So I post up on Mastodon and Twitter and some other sites as well. X. Uh, People who follow me, I'm not calling it X, people who follow me saying, has anyone got a security contact at booking.com? And then, of course, you got all these replies going, oh, I bet they've had a data breach. You know, people jump into conclusions as to what's happened. Oh, well, outrageous I, of them. You know. The humans. Of, <laughs> <because> <laughs> on, a, on a platform where there's like 300 <laughs> characters and you're supposed to have an opinion. How dare they? <laughs> Yeah. You know, that it's it, anyway. So people, people are making that assumption, which is, seems a reasonable assumption right, to me, exactly. um, as to why would I be asking? But uh, and I've, I tag Booking.com by the way in my tweet, and I get a reply from Booking.com, not the real Booking.com, of course. I get a reply from a fake Booking.com on Twitter, and. Trust me, I found out since that there are numerous ones because they've been tweeting me ever since trying to help with my booking.com issues. <laughs> so it's a freaking... Oh. 
I'm reaching out on LinkedIn as well, trying to find security contacts in my network, and I find a couple. I do eventually get a reply from one of them who tells me basically to bog off. Um, <laughs> do you know, why not just call a hotel directly from now on? There's wonderful people, concierges that are there to help you and just go, hello, I would like to book a room. Eventually, I get an email address, the security team at booking.com. Okay, so I email them, I give them the details, I give them screenshots, say, hey, 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 this seems pretty serious. I imagine if this is happening to me, it's happening to other people as well. I still haven't heard anything back from booking.com. However, yesterday, booking.com sent an email to its customers saying that they have had reports of potentially fraudulent behavior in people pretending to be Booking.com or hotel owners. And they sent out this piece of advice. Now, I'm not going to go into all the details. You can read on my website exactly what they wrote because I've got some issues with what they wrote as well and uh, how they perhaps haven't described this quite correctly. Or apologised. My suspicion. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, how come only the the fraudulent Booking.coms are actually the people getting back to me? Um, But I have since been approached by other people who've had the same experience it appears this has been going on since at least September. Hmm. So this has been going on for some weeks with other people seeing exactly the same thing. It's still going on. It may be that the hotels themselves have been fished and someone is logging in with their booking.com account to answer their future guests and to trick them into thinking. That's interesting. That yeah. Yeah. So I think that's how it's happening. But basically, my message, I suppose, is these scams don't always come via email. They don't always come via SMS. And don't be tricked, as I almost was, into believing something just because it comes within what you believe is the safe harbour of an actual app which you have used to make the booking in the first place because it could be that's been compromised. Yeah, it's not fair. I mean, how can people do that? I'm wondering whether we should say, hey, if you work in the hospitality industry and use booking.com, I don't know, maybe it's a good time to change password, just see what happens. Absolutely. And if, if uh, I don't know if a two-factor authentication is available uh, with those accounts, but if it is, oh, turn it see, on. Yeah. Do you know the problem I bet is, though, is that there's going to be yeah. multiple people having access to it yes. to manage it. And somehow the technology industry has not figured out a way to have like... Oh! Uh, so you, you are right. When you've got a, a team of people logging into the same account, then two-factor authentication can be a bit of a pain. Um what I've experienced is if you use a good password manager, you can now get the password manager to generate the uh, time-sensitive one-time password. And if you're sharing those details inside your password manager in a secure way, mm-hmm. they can also access the two-factor token as well. That's a super in good order point. to enter it. Yeah. So so uh, maybe another reason to get a good password manager Definitely. inside your organization. Yeah. Oh, loads of good advice. Anyways, Ratatouille. Great. Love it. Great. Now you know what an aubergine is. Don't ever use the emoji, though, unless uh, in an iMessage. I think I'm more of a chipolata man. (laughs) Right. If I'm lucky. (laughs) With a good wind behind me. Carol, quickly, moving on. What have you got for us this week? Graham, I don't even know how long it's been. Five years? Almost 350 episodes worth. We've been creating this award-winning podcast. It's actually longer than that. Do you know our first episode was in December 2016? We are coming up to our seventh birthday. Jesus. 
just gone. <laughs> oh, God. I think. Is that, is that not right? I, th- I have no idea. I think that's correct. That's a long time, Graham. It's called the seven-year itch, Graham. Yeah. Um, is it fair in saying that we can boast about 10 million downloads or listens? Is that about right? Oh, I haven't, I haven't been keeping count, but yeah, it's, it's something like that. Yeah. It's pretty impressive, you know? More than a million a year. Anyway, I thought we could work out roughly how many hours we have spent so far on Smashing Security, just for fun. <laughs> okay, so I've done a little breakdown. You just correct my numbers here and see what I think. So I'd say each show on average is about 45 minutes long, because sometimes we have featured interviews and all that, and they're longer. Yeah, yeah. And I would say it takes me, on average, about two hours to prep for the show, to get the story, write it up, etc., Okay, so combined, yeah, combined, I guess we come up to about two hours, eight minutes, I suppose. Yeah. So oh, you only do eight minutes, right. About, about, I, think, I think it's obvious, well, isn't come, it? Come, come. Um, and then in the editing side, oh. and all that stuff, reviewing, listening to your half, you listen yeah, to my half, yeah, yeah, all the yeah. stuff, I would say that's about four hours on average for me. Yeah, I think it's prob- probably a, a bit more for me. Yeah, you probably have five. Yeah. Okay, so we add all that up. What, we've got 9, 10, 11, basically 12 hours, right? Yeah, we've wasted a large chunk of our lives doing this, yeah. 12 hours times 2, because 12 hours for me, 12 hours for you each week. Yes. 24 times 345. You could, you could do the calculator, because I'm doing the story. <laughs> oh, okay. It, it's... It's actually episode 344 today, I think. There we go. Yeah, don't exaggerate our numbers. So I've got 24 times 344. Yeah, okay. So that is 8,256 hours. Jesus, okay. Doesn't Malcolm Gladwell say you get good at something after 10,000 hours? If we were a two-headed beast, Graham, uh, we're almost there. Um, <laughs> divide that by 24 just to get a number of days, 24-hour days oh, okay. that we've been doing this stuff. Divided by 24. Uh, 385. 385 24-hour days. So for more than an entire year, no sleep. No. No going to the loo. No going to the loo. Well, unless you take your phone and do, and do some editing. No eating ratatouille. Yeah. It's a lot of time. It is a lot of time. That's a lot of time. I just, listeners, I'm not trying to say poor us, right? We have amazing, wonderful sponsors that help make this all worthwhile. And they're great. And thank you. And our Patreon supporters and everybody. But imagine, Graham, imagine if we could just sit on our cute little tushes and get someone else to do all the work for us virtually for free, right? There'd be a lot more profit at the end of that. We'd be quids in. That would be wonderful. Eat our cake and... What's that expression, get your cake and eat it too? I've never understood that. Why would you want a cake and not eat it? Like, I don't... Anyway. (laughs) Worry not, Graham, because get ready, because we found a podcast that has been entirely AI generated, or so develop AI claim. Right. This is a company that reports on AI in Africa, trains African journalists to code, to work with AI tools. And I'm guessing this was a bit of a PR stunt to get some eyeballs. And it worked because look at me today. I'm talking about it. Mm. I I, I looked into this, right? And I wanted to see uh, what the plan was. And they wanted to get a working script that would spit out a complete 10-minute podcast episode recounting the daily news, in this case from Johannesburg, where he's based, in a discussion format between three trained 
imaginary voices. Oh, so it's not just coming up with a script. It's actually then got AI bots reading it. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, I'm giving you the highlights of his article. The link is in the show notes if you want to read more about it. <laughs> Guy's name is Paul McNeely. Paul has a dream. He has a dream, he writes. He says he has a dream of building an application that could produce a podcast episode from scratch without even needing to record a human voice. That was the big plan. Right. So uh, he said he spoke with ChatGPT a lot and he used Google Colab to pull a script together. And Paul says he got the idea that one of the presenters would be predicting what comes next in the news. So in other words, you've got two main hosts that are recounting the details of a story of the day. Yeah. And then at the end, they hand over to a third host for his, her, its predictions on where the story might go. A bit like Mystic Meg, a bit like an astrologer would. <laughs> well, look, we've all done that. Like, let's look in the... Uh, in the crystal ball. In the crystal ball and tell us where it's going to be. Yeah. So Paul says this was because chat GPT was actually stronger at creating imaginary narratives than pumping out fact. Oh, yeah. It's great at making up stuff. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I love that he's instead of just creating a podcast full of shit, he's like, we're going to do the news. We're going to do the news with something that is really good at creating imaginary narratives. This is awesome. Right. Oh, my goodness. So, so the program that he wrote sp spoke to Google News found the top stories of the day, and then scraped yes. prominent websites for the material. Ripping them off. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. No wonder content creators are up in arms about AI. Yeah. And interestingly, Paul says that ChatGPT couldn't produce a script straight from website text. So he first had to ask it to convert the news article into lists of facts, and then build a script from these facts. And the difficulty was apparently getting each host to then be paired with a different synthetic voice. So Paul needed to break up the script into different lines of dialogue and then send each line to its appropriate synthetic voice emulator. Um, then you'd have to put all the lines back in as dozens of small MP3s, stitch them back in, and then spit it out as a complete MP3. Don't you feel that he slightly copied our idea? Because we have... We have a synthetic <laughs> robot voice. You're welcome, Paul. At the f at the start of the Smashing Security podcast, there's no reason why we couldn't get the chap who goes episode three hundred. You know what he does? All that all that stuff with Graham to tell a whole story to do the whole thing. I mean, we could take a holiday one week and just get him to do it. Would anyone even notice? What's his name again? I always forget his name. Uh, let's call him Dave. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, so maybe Dave will close the show today with something. All right. We'll see what he okay. can do. And we've been doing that since when? 2017. So put that in your hat, Paul. Um, okay, so the snags in this project of his. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. The cost of synthetic voices, so charged per character, he says was too high. Because he says in his, you know, in his mind, he envisioned this kind of dystopian factory of 100 podcast episodes a day being oh, produced, God. right, with no one even listening to the content before it's published. And he says the costs make that impossible. And I'm thinking, okay, they may be expensive now, but I imagine in a few years time, it'll be a dime a dozen, don't you think? And is it really, I mean, maybe it's expensive if he's using some sort of 
cloud-based service to do this. But surely he's got some old Bitcoin mining rigs down there in Johannesburg, which he could adapt <laughs> to get to work on this project instead. The other thing was his issue was the speed of production for each episode wasn't as quick as he anticipated or hoped. Oh, how long does it take? So what he had budgeted for, what do you think was? So for a 10-minute three-character blah, blah about the news. Is he thinking he could do 20 minutes in an hour? He's budgeted two minutes per episode. So what? Two minutes to produce 10 minutes of audio. 10 minutes. Yeah, that was his plan. That sounds optimistic. It turned out it was closer to 10. So one to one. So our shows are what, 45 minutes? That'd be 45 minutes work. Bish, bash, boosh. And compare that to us. We guesstimated 24 hours per the average episode. I'm actually impressed by that. I thought it would take longer than that. Yeah. To do it well. That's, that's, that's quite impressive. Well, there's a third snag. And this is maybe the most important okay. for... For us. He says... Mm. Is it libel, lawyers? <laughs> well, I think as he put AI produced, AI produced, don't sue me, don't sue me everywhere. Uh, yeah, but he's publishing it, isn't he? Yeah, he's saying it's AI produced, though. Yeah. He seems to be pretty clear on it. Although... Yes. Uh, should probably review the content before he's published. Never mind. Yeah. Do you want another third snack? Go on. I'm going to quote him here. Quote, unforgivingly boring unforgivingly boring. We all know about that. <laughs> and he says, because as someone who creates podcasts, for him, it was a relief. Oh. Right? <laughs> so, I don't know. That makes me feel better, too. Because, anyway, I've, I've actually played with a bunch of AI trying to get them to tell jokes that are actually right. even minutely funny, and I've not succeeded at all. So, anyone who has a, an AI joke that actually made them have a little ha moment, please send it. I'd love to see it. Uh, but the chatter amongst the three hosts, uh, maybe we should play a little bit of it. Let's just play a tiny bit of it because it is deadly boring. I don't want anyone to fall asleep at the wheel if they're driving home. See what you make of it. I'm glad we get to navigate all these developments together. Uh, speaking of uh, developments, here's our first fact of the day. I'm sweeping across from Zimbabwe. We learn that the Center for Innovation and Technology, also known as CTE, has created an AI newsreader named Alice. Isn't that captivating, Will? Captivating, indeed. But just to temper the excitement a bit, let's remember Alice operates on X. Uh, she uses a traditional newsreader's voice to deliver news bulletins. Sounds like a glorified radio to me. You have a point, Will, but isn't the level of technical advancement astonishing. Alice was inspired by the world's first AI news anchor launched in 2018 by China's bad, right? G1 News. I think it's pretty impressive. And like you said, it's just going to get better and better, isn't it? Even if the jokes don't. You have a point, Graham. <laughs> Thank you to smashing security sponsors, Vanta where you can shortcut compliance without shortchanging security. Expand the scope of your security program with Vanta's market-leading compliance automation. Vanta's 5,000-plus global customers report saving over 300 hours in manual work and up to 85% of cost for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, GDPR, custom frameworks, and more. And with Vanta's 200-plus integrations, you can easily monitor and secure the tools your business relies on. 
From the most in-demand frameworks to third-party risk management and security questionnaires, Vanta gives SaaS businesses of all sizes one place to manage risk and prove security in real time. As a special bonus, Smashing Security listeners get a whopping 20% off Vanta. Just go to vanta.com slash smashing. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash smashing. And we thank Devo for sponsoring the show. SOC analysts are often overworked and underappreciated. In fact, many consider leaving their jobs or changing careers altogether. Devo is hosting the third annual SOC Analyst Appreciation Day. This year's program includes presentations and discussions from some of the InfoSec community's most prolific thought leaders, including the likes of YouTube creator John Hammond, CISO Olivia Rose, and unpopular opinion guy Joss Copeland. This event will cover everything from real-life use cases to SOC automation, managing your mental well-being, and more. You won't want to miss it. Join Devo and other cybersecurity industry professionals on October 18th, 2023 for sessions and panels focused on de-stressing, SOC career development, and more. Visit smashingsecurity.com slash Devo to register. That's smashingsecurity.com slash Devo. If you work in security or IT and your company has Okta, this message is for you. For the past few years, the majority of data breaches and hacks you read about have something in common. It's employees. Hackers absolutely love exploiting vulnerable employee devices and credentials. But imagine a world where only secure devices can access your cloud apps. Here, credentials are useless to hackers, and you can manage every OS, even Linux, from a single dashboard. Best of all, you can get employees to fix their own device security issues without creating more work for IT. The good news is, you don't have to imagine this world. You can just start using Collide. Collide is a device trust solution for companies with Okta, and it makes sure that if a device is not trusted or secure, it can't log in to your cloud apps. Visit collide.com slash smashing to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash smashing. And welcome back. And you join us at our favourite part of the show, the part of the show that we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week is the part of the show where everyone chooses something they like. Could be a funny story, a book that they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, a podcast, a website or an app. Whatever they like. It doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Better not be. Well, the real rule, Carol, is it doesn't have to be security related. Not <laughs> well, that it better not be security related. Only if you related. think a man's rule is more important than a lady's rule. I think whoever speaks first sets the rules oh. in this oh. <laughs> in this particular case. So you start case. the podcast. Doesn't doesn't have oh. to be. Look, my pick of the week this week is security related. Is that all right with you? Thank you very much for asking. It is fine with me. Thank you. Go ahead. Okay. Please proceed. My pick of the week this week is uh, something which has been made by Ryan Kovar. He is the distinguished strategist at Splunk. Mm. And he has put together an online map um, where he's coloured different countries according to whether it is legal to pay ransomware gangs or more specifically cyber extortion gangs or not. Oh, my God. So this is used by corporations everywhere? 
So they, instead so, of asking their legal team, they can go, I can find out. Don't worry. Don't worry. I'll, I'll just check this. Yeah. We'll, we'll work out where to make the payment from, which country. We've, yeah. Have we got a division in Mongolia? <laughs> right. They're the ones who are going to pay it. <laughs> oh, my God. The world. So if you go to isitlegaltopay.com. Oh, my God. Okay. I'm going right now. The first thing you will notice is that it isn't protected with HTTPS. So it's HTTP, which means your browser. Well, you're not you're not putting any information in, are you? Yes, but come on. This is Ryan Kovar, a distinguished strategist at Splunk. Surely he can get Let's Encrypt to produce a SSL certificate free for his little website. I felt embarrassed linking to it in the show notes. Well, then don't. I'm not sure he'll care. Well, it's... <laughs> Well, <laughs> you know, well, you have to give him a lecture, you know. Well, I just, I found, anyway, that's the you first You were surprised thing to spot. see that it's not HTTPS. Although, actually, I'm seeing right now it's HTTPS. My site's HTTPS. Is it? Yes. Are you sure? Well, I'm looking at it and it says HTTPS. Oh, bugger. So it is. All right. So oh, dear. And I get to edit this bit. Ryan, Apologies, Ryan, please. I take it. Ryan, I take it back. It turns out that if you go to HTTP colon slash slash isitlegaltopay.com, it doesn't redirect you to HTTPS. But if you go to HTTPS, it does. So Okay, so he's go. just got a tiny little niggleette. No All problem. Right. So I've made I've made a big thing about this. Yep, like the aubergine. Very Ryan important. now hates me. Just exactly the same thing. Um now what you see there on the map crawl is probably lots of countries which aren't filled in with a colour. Yeah. Because he doesn't yet know what the situation is in Kazakhstan. He doesn't have information on that, for instance, or what the information is in the Sudan. So he's building out the database. Yeah. Exactly. And you can contribute to this via a GitHub page. It's linked to from the site. Um, because some countries do say it's a bad idea to pay ransomware gangs because you could be funding terrorism. Others simply say, no, you cannot, full stop, do it. Um, the only place marked in red at the moment where you definitely cannot pay your ransomware is in North Carolina, where apparently state agencies and local government are prohibited by law for paying ransomware demands. Uh, in some other places, you have to report it. But I think this is kind of interesting, yeah. and I think it will grow over time. Canada... Do what you like. UK, yeah. do what you like. Yeah, France, do what you like. Australia, do what you like. South Africa, do what you like. Although, if you click on some of these countries, you will find a little bit more granularity. So they may say, although it's not illegal, it's strongly discouraged, or you have to, um, in some places, you know, there, there may be additional rules. There's certain criminal code. What the website says is, look, I'm not a lawyer. I'm not Judge Judy. Do not do not take this website. If you if you are thinking of paying a ransom demand, go and consult proper legal advice regarding whether what you're doing is right or not, because otherwise you could end up in a bit of a pickle. I'm just having fun while I have, you know, cereal. Yeah. So one other thing, Crow, which ties in with your story just now, is I went to the about page for isitlegaltopay.com mm. and it says that the entire website was written with chat GPT. So the data's been collected, outsourced from the, you know, people are contributing the data, but the actual website is written by AI, which might explain, if you do go to the About page, 
it sort of glows in this menacing green. It pulsates a bit like a giant maggot, uh, which has been infected by some sort of mutation. Uh, some sort of, but anyway, but 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 that that may be ChatGPT which has chosen that. But um, anyway, is it legal to pay? Dot com is my pick of the week. All right, nice work, Ryan. And remember to use HTTPS. <laughs> <laughs> Such a bobo. Carol, what is your pick of the week? My pick of the week this week is a movie. Oh, yeah. It is called Licorice Pizza. It was created by uh, the creator of Boogie Nights and Magnolia, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, yes. And it came out last year, November 21. But I really think it's destined to be a cult classic of its genre, the coming of age movie. I saw it last night. So I got it on uh, BBC iPlayer, where it's available at the moment. And it kind of underscores the sweet pleasures, but also the nasty heart-wrenching pains associated with infatuation at a tender age. Ah. So we're in 1973, and you have this 15-year-old kid... And uh, he reminded me a bit of you, Graham. Is this the character of Gary I'm looking up right now? Yeah. Yeah, I can... There, there is a physical resemblance. No, 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 not about looks. No, not about looks. <laughs> not about looks. Not about looks. Listen, just listen okay. first, right? So he's been killing it as a child acting uh, star, child acting star. Uh, but he's getting old. He's 15. Oh, right. You know, and he doesn't fit into that world anymore. And you can see the writing on the wall. But this is where he meets Alana. Oh, yes. And Alana is the a photographer's assistant or something, but is 10 years his senior, Graham. So she's 25. I'd have quite liked that when I was 15. Uh-huh. I know. And he's kind of got, got all completely swoony over Alana. And he's also a very determined kind of person, a bit like you are. Like, you know, when you get a, when you say, I'm going to do this, you just go for it. So rather than wallow or fight back about his acting career, he changes tax completely and embarks on a little venture, flogging waterbed mattresses. <laughs> and it's crazy. And he's got charisma and charm, which means like his mates and siblings are all involved in his, you know, in his venture as he navigates the world of marketing and buying and selling for the first time with all these adults around. Uh-huh. And then there's more ventures that happen when there's a bill that's reversed. He seizes the opportunity to capitalize, right, to be the first person in town with, to offer a specific type of service. And so we have this, like, zany, determined, savvy kid. And she's kind of curious about him, but kind of can't believe he's 15, but just is also kind of intoxicated by him because he's kind of fascinating. That's a little bit awkward feeling, though, if she's 25, if she's... Well, you know, you know? that's kind of my issue. Yeah. They called it puppy love, but a mature one. Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. If the roles were reversed, and this was a 25-year-old guy, mm -hmm. and a 15-year-old girl who was completely obsessed yep. with him... So, but they don't deal with that at all. And none, did, none of the reviews that I saw dealt with it. Uh, so I found that interesting because it is like, there's no sex scene or anything in it, but there is like deep, tender love that happens. So make of it what you will. It's quite beautifully written. It's got a really nice cadence and it really gets that feeling, you know, of uh, like, you know, if you're my age <laughs> and thinking back to the days when you went through this, you can go, oh, I remember. 
But uh, if you're in it, you it's sick. You're just sick. Your tummy's constantly going crazy. You're wondering when they're going to call. Why they are they ghosting you and all that stuff. So that's my movie. So it's uh, Licorice Pizza. Um, I'm sure you can stream it wherever you stream stuff. But I know currently it's available on BBC iPlayer. And that is my pick of the week. I've just been looking at, uh, according to what I'm reading here, you can't stream it anywhere at the moment. So maybe BBC iPlayer is the place for now. I guess you can pay for it on yeah, somewhere like Amazon Prime Video. So, yeah. you know, but yeah, you can't stream it for free at the moment. Anyway, he's made some other good movies, hasn't he, Paul Thomas Anderson? Uh, so, yeah, uh, Boogie Nights. Magnolia. Magnolia, yeah. That was, they were Magnolia was good, very right? long. God, that was long. <laughs> Tom Cruise, wasn't it? It was like three and a half hours or something. That's right. Yeah. Numb yeah. butt. That's how I ended that one. That's what I call him too. <laughs> anyway, that just about wraps up the show for this week. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Smash In Security. No G, Twitter and Last G. We also have a Mastodon account as well. Don't forget to ensure you never miss another episode. Follow Smashing Security in your favourite podcast apps such as Apple Podcasts and Overcast. Massive thank yous to this episode's sponsors, Devo, Vanta and Collide. And of course, to our wonderful Patreon community. It's thanks to them all that this show is free. And as always, for episode show notes, sponsorship info, guest lists and the entire back catalogue of more than 343 episodes, check out SmashingSecurity.com. Until next time, cheerio. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Excellent. Very good. Um, Fun story. Well done, Carol. You should watch it with uh, with Miss Amanda as well. Yeah. I, maybe maybe we shall. I think you're going to want to hide a bit. A bit close to home. It'll be a little close to home, but it's not embarrassing. He's very sweet. He's a really. He's actually. A, he's kind of the star character. He is a really good character. And uh, you're going to be waiting for something awful. And there's nothing awful. He's just, but it's just, anyway, it's really great. Here's a cybersecurity joke that uses AI. Why did the AI cross the road to get to the other side of the firewall? Ha ha ha. I hope that made you chuckle.